Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Columbus, Ohio, it's time for Columbus Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Columbus Business Radio, and this is going to be a good one. Today we have with us Lance Tyson with the Tyson Group. Welcome, Lance. I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for having me on. Well, before we get too far into things, tell us about the Tyson Group. How are you serving folks? Yeah. Um, so the Tyson Group, um, we work with sales leaders and their teams to help them compete in kind of a complex world, right? And, and the world's gotten a heck of a lot more complex since March. And uh, we work from sports with sports and entertainment teams to manufacturing organizations. So we run the gamut. And then what type of sales are they typically doing? Yeah. So a lot of a, a lot of time, it's a, you know, it, it's it's an organization that's struggling with their talent and trying to get a result. So it could be a complex sale. We're working with an organization uh, in Dayton called Vandalia uh, Rentals. And, and one of the things we work with them on is really connecting with their clients, which are in the contracting business, all the way to the Columbus Blue Jackets, who their people might be selling partnership Deals. So it's really a complex sale, designing a sales process specifically for them and then developing the skill. So then uh, it's primarily business to business? Yeah, for the most part, it is. So now walk me through what an engagement looks like. So I would imagine the pain they're having is they're not selling enough. Is that accurate? They're frustrated. Yeah, it is. And, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs, small to mid-sized businesses, and, you know, we, we've even worked with the Columbus Chamber with their process. A lot of times decision makers feel, number one, a lot of their salespeople don't sell as well as they did when they, if they're an entrepreneur. On the other side, an executive many times kind of thinks that, you know, a really good salesperson is so hard to find that, that you know, they don't really want to overpress some of the people that they have because salespeople are hard to find. We actually believe salespeople are not born. We believe they're built at some level and you acquire those skills over time through certain process and things like that. So one of the first things we'll do is we'll assess the current sales team and kind of get a sales DNA, look at the skill sets that um, drive success. And then at the same time, look at their sales process and say, what's needed. So for instance, we recently worked with an organization and based off of our homework and the assessment, what we ran is their sales team wasn't really good at negotiation. And in their sales process, the the client started to bargain way early and uh, the company suffered from price integrity issues with the salespeople. The salespeople leave a lot of dollars on the table. So we start to look at like, look, we got to come up with a very formal negotiation process that that is indicative to how you guys sell because the skill set is not that great. So where if where you don't have skill set, you gotta you gotta forge a process that will help that. So then, if your process is strong enough, that's going to kind of make up for uh, a less than rock star salesperson. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. A predictable process yields a predictable result, right? It's not going to, um, you know, at this, at some level, you got the talent you have, and a lot of us can't afford just to go out and find new salespeople. So we have to come up with a process where skill set's not going to match. It's, it's going to get you better odds. Is it a silver bullet? No, not at all. Um, nothing is. But, but odds-wise, it does give you a little bit better play. And then um, what are some of the 
the kind of, let's see, qualities that a solid sales process can cover for a less than stellar salesperson? Well, I mean, number one, for instance, right now, a lot of, I have, I have a, a book that's coming out in March on prospecting. And right now, a lot of, if you did a Google search on how many times, um, or an Uber search on how many times the word prospecting is looked up, it's a hundred thousand times a month on, on, on Google, right? Um, a lot of organizations are struggling with that right now because they're trying to get in front of buyers. The landscape is more competitive for the most part. Um, uh, price objections are there. So one of the things that you could cover for skill is having the right cadence. Right now, all, all of our research partners tell us it's somewhere between six to eight touches pre-pandemic to get in touch with a or connect with a buyer. Right now, everything's shown us nine to 15 touches. So you could come up with a cadence that addresses the fact where you may have some folks that that aren't as skilled, but you can get it with activity. It's, oh, it's almost like this formula. If wherever you lack in skill, you can, so it's activity multiplied by selling skills, get your result. So at some level you can make up with that, with the cadence. So um, how, how does automation play into this? Cause there's so many uh, sales uh, automation tools available now to people. You know, it's, um, I, Somebody told me I had a I got a call um, from a, a marketing automation company recently, and the, the salesperson they're out of Silicon Valley and and they were I, I think it's um, one of the Salesforce companies um, and the salesperson did a great job they read one of my blogs they sent me an email commented on the blog um, they connected with me on LinkedIn they really personalized it. And so after a time, I said, you know what, I'll give this person some time off my calendar. She asked for an appointment, so I gave it to her. And, so she and wore you down. She was. She did. <laughs> she did. But I also also appreciate a good sales approach. <laughs> That's I probably got to reward that. It, uh, heck there's, yeah. There's heck no yeah. harm in talking to a good salesperson. There's no nothing doubt. bad from you that. Know what, bottom line is you respected a shark, respect a shark, right? So, um, so I listened to her and then she opened up and she goes, Lance, I just want to let you know that that prospecting's dead and uh, cold calling's dead. And so I let her go for a few minutes and, and I said, well, tell me more. And she started to cite all these sources and all these statistics. And I said, I said, don't you think it's in your best interest to say that though? And it was Pardita, um, Pardito, I think was the name of the company. And she goes, um, it's a Salesforce company. And she said, well, it, it really is. And she cited some more stats. I said, but, but you cold called me <laughs> and she kind of stopped and she paused. She goes, well, we've also used some of this. I go, no, 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 but you cold called me. I said, you literally dialed the phone three times, whether you pushed a button on your, on your, in your CRM or not. And a lot of your messages were customized. That didn't come out of your marketing automation. I said, so I think a lot of times you're hearing from people that should be saying it, the cold calling and prospecting is dead. At the same time, you look up you look up the most searched word on Google right now for sales. It's, uh, is is that 
boasted out there because of the marketing automation companies? I think so. Do we use marketing automation? Tyson Group? Heck yeah, we use HubSpot. We're happy with it. it. It's great for inbound. It's great for outbound. Do we automate some of it? Yeah, but but still our salespeople are following up on on uh, hot leads and things like that. Right. So it has to be a combination. I mean, it's silly yeah. not to leverage technology. I mean, it can it, save you yeah. so much time. That's just absurd to, you know, purposely not use a tool. Right. And as long as you use it well and you know what you're using it for also. And but I have yet to really see the reduction of the salesperson involved in either following up with a lead. Um, I've yet to really see somebody, you know, in most more complex sales, that salesperson's integral in driving an appointment or driving a conversation to ultimately drive a sale. Right. And the, and it has to, I believe, be kind of a human to human interaction. It's hard to just kind of, you know, kind of plug and play a 10 cadence automated conversation that may or may not be pertaining to this individual and eventually get them to buy something. That's a difficult road to well, there, hoe. And there's a And there's a lot of confusion, right? So just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true. You get a lot of information. There's a ton out there. There's a lot of competitors. Right now, a lot of buyers do look at that human-to-human connection and, and want somebody to convince them to buy. I just recently um, picked up a, a, a car for my youngest son. He had an older car. It was breaking down a lot. So I went to a Jeep dealership here in Columbus. You know, there's plenty of research on Jeeps. At the end of the day, I still needed a salesperson. I just didn't show up and, and, and plug it in. I know there's some concepts like that, but at the end of the day, they still had a sales floor that was busy. They had probably 10, 10 salespeople there. Right. So now when you're working with your customers, you mentioned the variety of customers or clients that you're working with. Some of them, when it's kind of an entrepreneurial driven entity, you have, like you said, that maybe the founder who who maybe enjoys and gets some emotional satisfaction from that heroic sale that they're the ones that have, everybody's got to talk to them because they know the most. Um, and you're building a system for that person. Is it the same kind of system when it's a big enterprise company that is more, uh, you know, has it's more corporate where they don't have maybe that uh, ego that the entrepreneur has, but they still need the systems? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of times when we're going into a, a large organization, there there are things that they do pretty well. Right. So they um, how they manage pipeline and things like that. And they have a process. So many times they're struggling inside a new marketplace, a new vertical, a new product. The entrepreneur a lot of times struggles with salespeople because they don't sell like he or she does. Right. And and it's usually because the entrepreneur is the best salesperson because they have so much passion about the product and they can't understand why somebody wouldn't be as excited. So you have to kind of dull it down. And, and work on process. They usually lack process. The the more corporate environment, you're usually honing in and zeroing on skill. And it's it's not these big quantum leaps of growth you're going to get. You get reductions in the sales process. That's usually a major KPI we go for is like, how can we do, reduce the amount of time it takes to sale? How can we reduce um, um, how many meetings there are? Like we have a uh, top golf is one of our bigger clients and there's top golf in Columbus and most major cities. And we work with their partnership group and their hospitality group. One of the things this afternoon we're working on is instead of it being four meetings, how do we get that fourth meeting off the calendar 
and really accomplish some of the things in meeting two or three that need to be accomplished. And that's usually where a salesperson's struggling with an objection or negotiation, or they're, they're following up on a follow-up, nothing solid, and they get uh, the, the buyers punting down the, down the road. So that's, that's usually the, the biggest differential. And is that kind of uh, one of those signals to you as an expert in what you do? Um, if there, if there's so many meetings, all you're doing is kind of setting yourself up for uh, points of failure. So you try to kind of eliminate some of those meetings if possible. Well, the, well, there's there's two things there, right? So first off, the definition of I, I don't know how much of an expert I am, but I was told one time the definition of an expert is somebody that lives uh, 25 miles outside your hometown, doesn't know any more than you, but just says it in a different way. So if that makes me an expert, I guess, right? I would say that the other thing is um, as as salespeople have a tendency, it's like when you, when you buy anything, like if you go out and get a new, the new iPhone, right? You have another iPhone is a completely broken. No, but you, you convince yourself it's called contribution bias of why you need something new, why you need that new cell phone, why you need that new computer, why you need that new car. And salespeople have a tendency to look at contributing factors that confirm their biases. And so a lot of times they don't like to bring up, things, reasons why the buyer wouldn't buy or things that could cause the buyer to think differently. So they don't push on, on things that a person doesn't like or some of the reasons they wouldn't buy. And they try to play it. It's like squeezing toothpaste out of a, an old toothpaste tube. You try to you squeeze it from the back and you just hope you don't get any resistance until you squeeze it all out. So they wait it out as opposed to applying some pressure naturally in the process, because most people are going to have re- they're going to have as many reasons not to do something as reasons to do something. And salespeople sometimes don't want to hear that because they know how hard it was to get the meeting. They know how hard it was to get the sale. They know how long their sales are. It's, you know, they, they prefer the artificial harmony versus anything else. So that, you're, that's usually a challenge. But, but so your recommendation is to create some friction is to bring up maybe some of the attributes of your competitor and as, as conversations of points of differentiation. Well, be something like this, right? So if I said to you, so say I was selling you payroll service, right? And I said to you, so what do you think? And you go, uh, what are your thoughts moving forward? And you say, Lance, I really, I I think the presentation was great. I really think you guys bring some things to the table. We're going to need to think about it and we've got to check with a few people. So a typical salesperson go, oh, that's awesome because they're, they're hearing great. They're hearing it was a great presentation as opposed to saying, well, you know, as you're thinking about, there's obviously some things you may have some concerns with or questions. What are they? A lot of salespeople don't like to do that. They'd rather play it out the other side and that elongates the sales process. Now, what about kind of attacking um, other, you know, by name, the you know the maybe the the big player in the industry or how they do things or you know like directly bringing that up well if if you know that they're playing ball if they're actually a competitor in the space i mean i've i've had salespeople sometimes do that and not know whether they were playing inside that that account and it it came as a pretty good recommendation to bring that in Right. So I would say on the front end, what we teach is kind of finding out how an organization buys, what their budget process is. And remember, budget is not only a number, it's actually how they make decisions in a time frame and in finding out who else they're talking to and then inserting the competition that way. You know, we're we're pretty big on zeroing, you know, aim small, miss small. Um, so it's it's 
more honing in the target to what is known as opposed to bringing in and playing off what somebody's saying. So if, if you had some known factors where the big competitor, if I worked for a small payroll company in town here and I was going up against ADP, I would bring ADP up at some level. Hey, do you use paychecks, ADP, or do you guys do it on your own? I wouldn't already know that before I bring up any competition. Mm -hmm. Now let's talk a little bit about, uh, you mentioned that, uh, uh, sales people can be, um, trained. They're not born, right? That was, a something you mentioned earlier. Yep. It's true. Now, um, what are some skills or some things that a young person who maybe hadn't considered themselves interested in sales or, or hadn't considered a sales career, but because of the circumstance nowadays, maybe sales is the right path for them. What are some things that that young person should be maybe reading, learning, or skills they should be acquiring in order to be an effective salesperson? Well, I, th- I think number one, um, if you look at some stats, um, I've heard anywhere from Daniel Pink say that 4.9 out of every nine Americans to seven almost seven out of every nine Americans are involved in some kind of business development. I, I, I think that's, that's what some younger folks have to come to grips with. And sales is not a dirty word. It is a four letter word. Sale is a four letter word, but it's not a dirty word. And in realizing that one of the reasons you'd want to get into that field is because salespeople that, you know, people that bring, um, money to the table or they bring accounts or revenue to the table typically advance in an organization pretty quick as much so as somebody in high finance. So I, I think that is because, because you literally can demonstrate and show what you can execute on. Right. So if, if you're looking at, you know, one of the first things I'm going to, you know, I'm going to suggest, and um, I come out of this organization for years, I own several Dale Carnegie training operations and that's the book, how to win friends and influence people. I'd 100% suggest they read that book. Um, two, um, maybe read my book, Selling's in a Way Game. <laughs> it's a good it's a good introduction to it. But I think they got to come to grips with knowing that career path is probably the biggest thing, where um, knowing that that sales is going to probably advance your career pretty quickly if you can perform. So that's what I'd come to grips with. I've suggested to my my sons and 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 their friends why why get in sales. Now, or do you find that the stigma of a salesperson is getting better or uh, staying the same or getting worse? What, what's your take on how salespeople are being perceived in the marketplace you know, from the lay person? So I've been, I've been public speaking since um, 1995, and I've promised myself there's one question I would ask most groups when I talk, especially a new group. I would say the question is usually when you think of a salesperson, what do you, who do you think of? And people say car. And then what kind of car is the next question? Um, they're like used car. So my point is I, I, I think there is a stigma on salespeople for some reason. I, I don't know what it is. Um, uh, and I'm not even saying car sales people are bad salespeople. I just, I just think the reference point there is most of us buy cars. I, I think there is a stigma on salespeople um, just because there's so many really bad ones. Nobody, nobody wants to feel they're being sold. People want to buy. And I think that's the difference. Right. And so when you see a bad one, you certainly, you certainly know it. Right. So I think, is it changing? Um, 
maybe I think the only fact there's a lot of universities now that offer sales programs or degrees and that just about marketing and sales too. So is it changing? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Now uh, for you, when you're going out to uh, sell your services, how, what's your sales process look like? How do you get in front of those folks? Um, is it through your thought leadership? Like you mentioned your book, you, I know you blog a lot, you're, uh, and you speak a lot. Is that your primary uh, tool that you do to get in front of the right people for you? Well, I mean, we have a, we have a pretty strong sales team at Tyson Group and we eat our own dog food. We practice what we preach. So some of the things that we talked about, my sales team is, is going after um, sales qualified leads that come in from blog, website, SEO. Um, they also do high value targeting where, where they'll go after companies that meet our profile. Um, Four out of five of our clients actually recommend us. That's about 43% higher than, than people in our industry. So that's a, that's a big part of what we do. You know, we're, we're usually leveraging that hot introduction and, and that's a big part of our, um, you know, of, of kind of how we handle things. And then the ideal customer is that B2B, uh, company with a complex sale that may be frustrated with the trajectory of their sales. Yeah, I would I would say also probably another big piece is most of our clients believe they they suffer from the disease of uniqueness. Their market it's different. They have their own set of um, challenges inside their company. So if you have ten, you know, five to ten salespeople or a hundred salespeople, either we come in and consult and evaluate that talent and and look at the sales process or fully go out and train and coach after we do after we do some of our front end work so that is, i wouldn't say necessarily always complex because i think sometimes that's in the eyes of the beholder and then um, so it's uh folks that have like more than 10 20 sales people i mean we've worked with smaller groups but ideal is probably 10 10 15 on the on the lower side you know i mentioned top golf earlier they you know they have uh almost 300 salespeople. So, um, you know, we work with Eli Lilly and, and they have thousands of salespeople on some things we work with them on. So we, we run the gamut. Um, although when we engage though, we, we do a pretty deep dive. We're working, like I said, with the sales leaders and the salespeople, because when you, when you lift one end of that pen, the other end of the pen moves. So. And then how long does it take typically for them to get kind of noticeable results? You know, it's, it's, it really depends what part of the process, like for instance, um, you know, we, when we're going in assessing a team and we go over their assessment results, we start right away and just kind of coaching them and and they're making, they can make adjustments in the moment. It just really depends how long the engagement is Um, right to the fact when we do an assessment, we're giving, um, you know, feedback on how to interview folks. So they, if they are hiring right into um, you know, but most of the results is when we gauge in the training portion of what we do and we start working with the salespeople on deals and how they approach things, they, they start seeing results immediately as they apply them. But, but on the same point though, you a lot of these organizations are only as strong as their sales leaders too. You know, we've, uh, what we're not great with is, um, organizations that look at training as an event as opposed to a process, right? And we trained our people, they check it off the list. That's, that is, 
Um, we, we drive clients crazy who, who look at that. So when we, when we, you know, I guess somebody said to me one time, we're not in the education business, we're in the training business. We're in, in the business of getting people not to know something different, but to do something different. So right. That, because that, you, that's, you that's can put, how we approach. you can put the best roadmap in place and they can untrain them as fast as you're training them. I mean, there, we had a client last year that um, when we went back to a review, we started talking about some of the adjustments that we suggested. And he goes, well, we didn't have a, the, the buyer set or the, the customer, so we didn't have a chance to apply that or we didn't necessarily agree with that. I go, well, you know, that's kind of why you're not seeing the result. I mean, it's, he goes, well, it felt uncomfortable. I said, well, I mean, my, I lift, I lift three or four times a week. I goblet squat. That's not very comfortable, but I can tell you my thighs are pretty strong. <laughs> Right. So what's what's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's not right. Right. And it's not working. If it's it could be working perfectly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Lance, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, if somebody wants to learn more, uh, get a hold of your book or uh, have a conversation with you or somebody on your team. What's the website? Yeah. If you can go to www.tysongroup.com, you can follow me at Lance Tyson on Twitter or connect with me on LinkedIn. And, and uh, I have two books out there. You can go on Amazon. We have a new book we put out in September called Igniting Sales EQ. It's about sales mindset. And um, we that's a bestseller. And then we have another bestseller called Selling is an Away Game. And they're both available on Amazon and uh, other bookstores. Good stuff. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. You're doing important work and we appreciate you. I appreciate your time. All right. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Columbus Business Radio. 